You want to check out this book, uh, 48 Laws of Power? What's it called? 48 Laws of Power. Huh. Um, never heard of it. Amos, Amos talked about interesting. it. A lot of people, a lot of people talk about it. It's very, very popular. So I was thinking we can hopefully check it out. Okay. All right. Yep. is generally unbearable to us. When we feel helpless, we feel miserable. No one wants less power. Everyone wants more. In the world today, however... Hey, that's like No, you can turn it up a little bit. Oh, I can turn up my speaker. Maybe there's a better... Can you hear it? Can you hear it? Hello? Not now. Not now. How about art? Helpless. We feel miserable. No one wants less power. Everyone wants more. In the world today, however, it is dangerous to seem too power hungry, to be overt with your power moves. We have to seem fair and decent. So we need to be so congenial yet cunning. Democratic, yet devious. This game of constant duplicity most resembles the power dynamic that existed in the scheming world of the old aristocratic court. Throughout history, a court has always formed itself around the person in power, king, queen, emperor, leader. The courtiers who filled this court were in an especially delicate position. They had to serve their masters, but if they seemed to fawn, if they carried favor too obviously, the other courtiers around them would notice and would act against them. Hey, that's it. Yeah, but see, see right away, my thought is there's a difference between power and effectiveness. Yeah. See, power is 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 uh, the capacity to make things happen. Yeah, effectiveness is the freedom to make things possible. Yeah, when I was thinking about this, I think of the duplicitous type of people. What she was talking about too, were like. I got the power and stuff, not by, you know, you, it's by, you know, I'm, I'm the five, four on the Enneagram. That means I spend a lot of my time studying. You know, I go out off of my own cause I, you know, and, and I spend all the time studying so I can be competent. You know what I mean? That's what I was always do. And, and the power comes by, by increasing your competence level and not trying to make things happen, but like, you know, being like intuitive and being around people and not kissing ass, but not doing, but, but just you know, being very competent and and also being in a in a transpersonal state of of kindness and oneness and love. That's not that's authentic. You know, any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's it. <clears throat> but I don't know if he's gonna get get too much into like the the duplicitous strategies, which which make things complicated. You know what I mean? Whereas if you're more involved in your in, in intuitive understandings of that, that are already ingrained of, in you of how to deal with people, then I think you'd be more effective than if you're, you know, any thoughts of that. Yeah, that's it. But this is a very popular book, so let's see. Attempts to win the master's favor then had to be subtle. And even skilled courtiers capable of such subtlety still had to protect themselves from their fellow courtiers who at all moments were scheming to push them aside. 
Meanwhile, the court was supposed to represent the height of civilization and refinement. Violent or overt power moves were frowned upon. Courtiers would work silently and secretly. Hey, Das? No. I was going to say, too, like, the universe is artistic, and it is, there is a karmic factor in the universe. So if you are working with the with a duplicitous calculative mindset, then things are going to come back around and get you. And that's not just because of like, uh, you know, a rational explanation. It's because the universe is kind of like a story and it has meaning matrices within it. And it, and it responds to your participation in it. And, and it's a, it is a meaning matrix and it has to, you know, co correspond in, in alignment with that. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's good. <clears throat> Against any among them who used force. This was the courtier's dilemma. While appearing the very paragon of elegance, they had to outwit and thwart their own opponents in the subtlest of ways. But, you know, and then, but we have to understand that, yeah, there is an aspect of, you know, deviousness and stuff like that. But the person who makes it up at the, at the top is the one who's really not playing that game, who's in the transpersonal non-dual state, right? Who's into just inquiry and just increasing competence. And he's the one who's not trying to be there. Any thoughts on that? Yep. That's it. It, may, it makes you think of like the Socrates' uh, parable where he was talking about like the – the one who's best that the but you were saying like the person who gets the power is a person who's the least uh you know effective and he says that he's the one who's like you know trying to manipulate and uh power moves to get the power uh, to steer the ship but he said the person who's the least who's the most competent to, to have the power is the one who's the one who, who's not really trying to get it and he's just studying the stars and he's studying, you know, the constellations and stuff like that. So then he can be the best ship navigator, but he's not trying to get the power, but he's the best one to get it. But he said that the, the tragedy within like the democracy of Athens and stuff is he would say that the person who gets the power is the one who's the least, you know, effective at it. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, yeah, that's good. See, it reminds me of that old saying, force pushes and power draws see power is 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 like a vacuum the vacuum always pulls or draws and so when the ego is out of the way you are an empty you are an empty space of possibility and yeah, it doesn't no so so but but do you think that that's true do you think that that was a good criticism of democracy to say that, yeah, in a democracy, the people who are, you know, vying for power and stuff, they're the ones who are, you know, not worthy of it because they're, they're just the ones who are focused on the power and, and they're not the ones who are focusing on, you know, the, what, what you know, Socrates is saying there's a philosopher kings who should be the ones in power and they're the ones who aren't really trying to get the power, but they're the ones who are, you know, have deep understanding and competence in understanding reality because they're the ones who are going like i think they're like the five fours the philosophy that's that's the enneagram type five four that's what i am the one who's going off by himself more and and studying deeply the nature of existence and even they might not have it because you know not everybody who's a five four is gonna gonna get that competence but some of them but they, some of them are more likely to because they're the ones who are doing the most in-depth research yeah, because they're the ones that 
that are interested in getting the ego out of the way and creating an empty space of possibility. Yeah, so it's less self-confirmatory and more self-transcendent orientation, right? Yep. Yep. The successful courtier learned over time to make all of his moves indirect. If he stabbed an opponent in the back. It so it's like the paradox. But I even think that the person who does get the power a lot of times is the one who's who is the most competent. Not always, but in a lot of cases, it is the one who's the one who's in the transpersonal state because he's the one who's not manipulating things in, in devious fashion that gets himself in trouble and gets himself in spirals and loops and gets himself, you know, in trouble, you know, but it's, it's the one who's yep. developing and nurturing his skills. And then yep. he ends up as the king, you know? Yep. Was with a velvet glove on his hand and the sweetest of smiles on his face. Instead of using coercion or outright treachery, the perfect courtier got his way through seduction, charm, deception, and subtle strategy, always planning several moves ahead. Life in the court was a never-ending game that required constant vigilance and tactical thinking. It was civilized war. Today, we face a peculiarly similar paradox to that of the courtier. Everything must appear civilized, decent, democratic, and fair. But if we play by those rules too strictly, if we take them too literally, we are crushed by those around us who are not so foolish. This is the great Renaissance diplomat and courtier, Nicole. Hey, does that No, not yet. Because he's making a good point, you know, the Machiavellian point, like he's saying like, yeah, don't be a Mr. Nice guy. You got, you got to be a little bit devious and you have to, you know, utilize these strategies and stuff like that. And it's true. You don't want to be a Mr. Nice guy and just be like, oh, I don't, I'm just a religious because that's still self-confirmatory. But at the same time, the devious fashion is self-confirmatory, you know, the unethical, right. you know, but so, so I think that he might be, he, at least he's going the right direction saying, okay, the Mr. Nice guy isn't the right way because conformity is not the flow. But at the same time, he's might not be acknowledging the flow. Any thoughts then? Yeah, exactly. See, it reminds me of the, of the seven killer bees bulldozing is forcing buttering up and and uh, brown nosing and and uh, that kind of thing is trying is, is using a, a more passive way of manipulating yeah so so whether it's an active and forceful way of manipulating or a passive mm -hmm. aggressive way of manipulating is still trying to make things happen whether you're principled or you're unprincipled you still are not necessarily following the capital p principle Right, exactly. It doesn't. No. Machiavelli wrote, any man who tries to be good all the time is bound to come to ruin among the great number who are not good. The court imagined itself the pinnacle of refinement, but underneath its glittering surface, a cauldron. And I think Machiavelli understood this too, and, and I think this is essential too, is people are intimidated by the religious by the spiritual even if you go into a prison you who's not going to be raped is the is the priest even if the priests rape children there no one's going to rape a priest because they're afraid of the spiritual realm you know what i mean and that's an ultimate you know in, in machiavelli talking about this like the, the princes and stuff they have to be able to utilize the church and utilize the the spiritual you know uh clergy and all that the because religious yeah yeah, the, the religious, because because people are intimidated by that. Yeah. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, 
because it's all self-protection. Yeah, does it? No. Greed, envy, lust, hatred, boil, and simmered. Our world today similarly imagines itself the pinnacle of fairness. Yet, but there's a higher aspiration by that because people there, there's a there's a rightful reason to have a kind of awe of the clergy or the or the religious because there is a higher realm and a higher domain that there that people recognize. It, 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 just yep, yeah, that's, that's the that's the underlying. Or spiritual or higher aspiration, yes. The same ugly emotions still stir within us as they have forever. The game is the same. Outwardly, you must seem to respect the niceties, but inwardly, unless you are a fool, you learn quickly to be prudent and to do as Napoleon advised. Place your iron hand inside a velvet glove. If, like the courtier of times gone by, you can master the arts of indirection, learning to seduce, charm, deceive, and subtly outmaneuver your opponents, you will attain the heights of power. You will be able to make people bend to your will without their realizing. I mean, it's made me think of like the people who come up with a bunch of strategies in basketball. Like, oh yeah, look at his feet like this and do this. When I was considered the best in the nation, I wasn't thinking about all that stuff. I was just practicing, practicing to become automatic in the flow. Pure. But, you know, dad did say, you know, shoot sideways and stuff. Yeah, I had that help. But the thing is, like, yeah, the strategy is not necessarily help to get the power. The power comes from God. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, that's it. What you have done. And if they do not realize what you have done, they will neither resent nor resist you. To some people, the notion of consciously playing power games, no matter how indirect, seems evil, a social, a relic of the past. They believe they can opt out of the game by behaving in ways that have nothing to do with power. You must beware of such people. They are often among the most adept players at power. They utilize strategies that cleverly disguise the nature. You see, he's he's correct. He's correct in that it's the person who's not trying to get the power who is in the transpersonal state. They are the most adept at getting the power because that's the way the universe paradoxically works. You know, when, when you're trying to protect your protect your race and become like a Trump. Okay, Trump got power, but not really though. Like, if you if you become like that then then you lose power and you just you just get like trump got himself caught up in bunkers you know what i mean but if if you are in a more of a transpersonal state then ironically even though you're not trying to get it it can it can accu uh, you know accumulate more and he does that yep precisely of the manipulation involved for example will often display their weakness and lack of power as a kind of moral virtue but true powerlessness without and of course there's people who do that to show off and it's and it's fake and it's inauthentic and it's fraudulent it, but that's still the ego but there is a there is a transpersonal domain and it doesn't yeah the motive of self-interest would not publicize its weakness to gain sympathy or respect making a show of one's weakness is actually a very effective strategy subtle and deceptive in the game of power Another strategy of the supposed non-player is to demand equality in every area of life. Everyone must be treated alike, whatever their status and strength. But if, to avoid the taint of power, you attempt to treat everyone equally and fairly, you will confront the problem that some people do certain things better than others. Treating everyone. And does it? No. And that's also going to get at with what we were talking about yesterday with the with the guy, rich dad, poor dad. Is there's certain types of people, and there's some like, for instance, 
on the five four, and and maybe the five four likes to be taken care of. Why? Because the five four wants to spend his time researching and studying and, and to get that competence. And in in cases like yeah, that's why there has to be a, a system that's flexible that can take into consideration the different personalities and say, okay, well, this person is more doing the research. Well, we should give, invest a little bit of money into this, and this person is more actually service oriented. And there are people who are more service oriented. They're the type ones. So okay, well, those people let's not necessarily give the welfare to, but let's encourage them to, to help the people who are the, who are the philosophers or the, you know, that's why I'm talking about there, that there's, there needs to be flexibility in, in like, any thoughts of that? Yeah. Yeah. We all have our strengths and weaknesses that need to be acknowledged and exploited. So, so there's elasticity and stuff, but at the same time, you don't want to be too, like, okay, oh, this guy's a 5'4", okay, and that becomes self-confirmatory. And then he becomes, like, then he becomes limited and constrained by that. And and then he, he, get, he gets self-indulgent. And then he doesn't even have any true wisdom because of that. And it ironically does the opposite. And that's why there it, it, there's no, like, there, there's a lot of paradoxes and, and backfirings. And any thoughts of that? Yeah. Yeah, it, it becomes... It appeals to the ego's desire to be special and, and exceptional. Less skillful and suppressing those who excel. Again, many of those who behave this way are actually deploying another power strategy, redistributing people's rewards in a way that they determine. Yet another way of avoiding the game would be perfect honesty and straightforwardness, since one of the main techniques of those who seek power is deceit and secrecy. But being perfectly honest will inevitably hurt and insult a great many people, some of whom will choose to injure you in return. No one will see your honest statement as completely objective and free of some personal motivation, and they will be right. In truth, the use of honesty is indeed a power strategy intended to convince people of one's noble, good-hearted, selfless character. It is a form of persuasion, even a subtle form of coercion. Finally. Not necessarily. Yeah, was it? There's, there's, you can, you can be interested in in honesty, as a discernment or honesty as a judgment. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, doesn't. So honesty, honesty, being honest or dishonest is not the issue. It's being judgmental or discerning, which is the issue. Yeah, so are you are you attitude oriented, judgmental, or are you discerning and transparent? And right. When you're when you're attempting to be honest, right. So so like, and I was thinking like, yeah, you want to acknowledge people's propensities and their predilections and stuff, but at the same time, you don't want to get like people like, oh, I'm a I'm a five four, I'm a this this. It becomes so it becomes so immature, and it becomes so uh, you know like suffocating. Yep. Yeah, doesn't. No. And and that's like the ultimate. That's the ultimate status quo maintainer. When people start to latch onto the ego identities. Yeah. Because ego identities, even astrology, it's kind of a social construction. There's Vedic astrology and there's Western astrology, and they're different. So how are you going to say like, yeah, it depends on the culture? Any other thoughts of that? No, I did not know that, but yeah, that, that's I mean, there's a lot of overlap, but but still, there there is a social construction aspect of it, right? right? Yeah. Those who claim to be non-players may affect an air of naivete, 
to protect them from the accusation that they are after power. Beware, again, however, for the appearance of naivete can be an effective means of deceit. And even genuine naivete is not free of the snares of power. Children may be naive in many ways, but they often act from an elemental need to gain control over those around them. Children suffer greatly from feeling powerless in the adult world, and they use any means available to get their way. Genuinely innocent people may still be playing for power, and are often horribly effective at the game, since they are not hindered by reflection. Once again, those who make a show or display of innocence are the least innocent of all. You can recognize these... It doesn't? No. Used non-players by the way they flaunt their moral qualities. So yeah, I wonder if, if the author of this, yeah, he was right. He's, he's Machiavellian and he's getting to a good point that, uh, you know, morality is often not true morality, but I wonder if he had, you know, recognized the, the flow, the non-dual state. Any thoughts on him? Yeah. No. Their piety, their exquisite sense of justice. But since all of us hunger for power, and almost all of our actions are aimed at gaining it. The non-players are merely throwing dust in our eyes, distracting us from their power plays with their air of moral superiority. If you observe them closely, you will see, in fact, that they are often the ones most skillful at indirect manipulation, even if some of them practice it unconsciously. And they greatly resent any publicizing of the tactics they use every day. If the world is like a giant scheming court and we are trapped inside it, there is no use in trying to opt out of the game. That will only render you powerless, and powerlessness will make you miserable. Instead of struggling against the inevitable, instead of arguing and whining and feeling guilty, it is far better to excel at power. In fact, the better you are at dealing with power, the better friend, lover, husband, wife. It doesn't. Well... See, he's very accurate in his description of what works and what doesn't work within the the interpersonal domain of consciousness. But he's just not at all acknowledging the possibility that there's a higher domain, which we call the flow. Yeah, and, and the thing is, like, yeah, I, I, I mean, it's important to, you know, yeah, you want to expand your awareness because that can increase your propensity to the flow. Right. So, so you want to be able to understand like genetic Darwinism and like the, the manipulations that you can do with a woman, like, you know, the pickup artist stuff, you, you could understand it, yeah. but at the same time, it's so limiting. Right. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, 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 it's dangerous to say, but it can be that same thing. It's magnificent in its accomplishments, but it's never satisfactory. But then, but then the irony is, if you're in a transpersonal state, like of consciousness, where you, where you're like the the star, the the guy who was like navigating the boat, and he understands the stars, and he has all, the, then he can actually. Ha I mean, even though he might not get the power at first, at some point, someone's gonna say, "Hey, this dude who has the power, who's leading the boat, this guy sucks. Where's someone who knows the stars?" And then that guy who's sitting in the back, who knows all the stars and stuff, he gets the power. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah that, yeah, that reminds me of one of the stories that that you sent to me about about the 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 child who who spent all his time studying the scriptures, but he could never articulate it. See, he was in the back of the boat. Yeah. Yeah, and, and that's the thing, and and that person might not get it at first, and the guy who's who's in the front of the boat, he might. Be good at understanding the surface and you might be good at being mediocre 
but the person who's in the back, he's been working and working at it. And maybe one day that everything will catalyze and there will be a, an epiphany and the, and the, everything comes together. Like kind of what happened to me, you know what I mean? And then it's ready. And then you're like, okay, I'm, I can have the power, but you're not saying it necessarily just people can acknowledge it. Okay. Look at that guy. He's, he understands all the stars, put him in, put him in the front. You know what I mean? It doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. That was that story that you sent to me. All right. You become, by following the route of the perfect courtier, you learn to make others feel better about themselves, becoming a source of pleasure to them. They will grow dependent on your abilities and desires of your presence. By mastering the 48 laws in this book, you spare others the pain that comes from bungling with power by playing with fire without knowing its properties. If the game of power is inescapable, better to be an artist than a denier or a bungler. Learning the game of power requires a certain way of looking at the world, a shifting of perspective. It takes effort and years of practice, for much of the game may not come naturally. Certain basic skills are required. And once you master these- And I think it's just like a, a presence, a, a mode of presence. Like if you're in a group and you understand transpersonal psychology, then you're not gonna call attention to someone's ethnicity and you're not gonna call attention to someone's body. And just doing that in and of itself, it's going to be bring about a harmony and, and it's going to draw people to you. Whereas if you are in a mode of power, which is more self-restricted -rest consciousness, you're going to automatically be saying and doing things that are causing friction and dissonance which is going to ironically make you not have power. Any thoughts to that? Yeah, that's exactly it. You will be able to apply the laws of power more easily. The most important of these skills and power's crucial foundation is the ability to master your emotions. An emotional response to a situation is the single greatest barrier to power, a mistake that will cost you a lot more than any temporary satisfaction you might gain by expressing your feelings. Emotions cloud reason, and if you cannot see the situation clearly, you cannot prepare for and respond to it with any degree of control. Anger is the most destructive of emotional responses, for it clouds your vision the most. It also has a ripple effect that invariably makes situations less controllable and heightens your enemy's resolve. If I'll give an example like that. There was this girl who, who I was standing in and she said, don't look at me or whatever. Uh, like like a like a black girl and I could have been like hey who are you to talk to me like that right but if I really want power I'm going to step outside of myself and I'm going to look away and I'm going to let the situation dissolve itself and then and then after I did that then then she was like okay I was just like I'm just playing and then and I gave her like a fist bump or whatever but if I would have reacted in an angered way when I was stuck in myself I would have ironically put myself in a lower position because then people would have been like oh and I would have lost power but by having the transpersonal mode i put myself in a higher position and then in the end i get a friend and i get a higher level of power any thoughts on that well i don't know whether i would call it higher a freer yeah. more liberating yeah yeah and that's not even really the intention but the intention is i'm in a transpersonal state and yep. and i'm not looking to be distracted Right. We're trying to destroy an enemy who has hurt you. Far better to keep him off guard by feigning friendliness than showing your anger. Love and affection are also potentially destructive in that they blind you to the off. But I wonder how much of this is, is based around the code of the matrix where the matrix has a code within it with symbolic, you know, 
meanings and resonances and it's displayed in the social fabric of interactions. Any thoughts to that? Yeah, well, yeah, the interpersonal world is a world of the matrix. It's, it's, a, it's an imaginary but, world. But the idea that there's a transpersonal aspect, that's a part of the matrix, but it's a part of the matrix that transcends the matrix, but it's still a part of the matrix, but it, it, it's the matrix pointing to that there is something beyond the matrix, which is ironic, paradoxical. Any thoughts of that? Yep, that's good. Self-serving interests of those whom you least suspect of playing a power game. You cannot repress anger or love or avoid feeling them, and you should not try, but you should be careful about how you express them. And most important, they should never influence your plans and strategies in any way. Related to mastering your emotions is the ability- well, I mean, Grandpa, one, one thing with me is, and I understand this with being an Enneagram 5-4, is that I'm so afraid of being seen as incompetent. And 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 this is what the lady was saying that, that would give me the Enneagram test. She was like, and you know, that's why I might've had such a huge edge when I first discovered the quadrant model, like intellectually, but then for a while I dropped off because she said that five fours, they end up secluding themselves and isolating themselves because they're so afraid of being incompetent that they spend all their time trying to become, you know, learn as much as they can to become competent. But because they, they exclude themselves from the social world, they can lose their, their, their edge and their sharpness mentally. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, that's, that's very insightful. But, but then, but then at the same time, like, like that, that's one of the reasons why I, I tried to not pick up girls in a way. It wasn't necessarily because, yeah, part of it's because of transpersonal mindset and maybe I'm, I'm trying to transcend the matrix, but at the same time, a big aspect of it is I don't want to look incompetent because I know that I didn't, I spent all my time studying and stuff and I didn't spend so much time working on social interactions with women. So, I mean, all I can do is work more and more at it, but because I don't want to be incompetent, I'm afraid to even approach because I know I'm going to be incompetent and I don't ever want to be seen as incompetent. Any thoughts of that? yeah that's good so but the only thing that you can do is you have to acknowledge okay there's gonna be a point where i'm incompetent but you're going to stay incompetent unless you practice any thoughts of that yeah the need to distance yourself from the present moment and think objectively about the past and future like the double-faced roman deity and guardian of all gates and doorways you must be able to look in both directions at once the better to handle danger from wherever it comes such is the face you must create for yourself. One face looking continuously to the future and the other to the past. For the future, the motto is, no days unalert. Nothing should catch you by surprise because you are constantly imagining problems before they arise. Instead of spending your time dreaming of your plans and happy ending, you must work on calculating every possible permutation and pitfall that might emerge in it. Further you see, the more steps ahead you plan, the more powerful you become. The other face of Janus looks... Any thoughts that? No. I mean, that's that could be important to like look at all of the variables and all the possibilities that can occur and stuff. And that's a part of being in the flow, right? To, to have a very comprehensive yeah. perspective. Yeah, that's all a part of, of uh, exposure and exploration. And that, that expansive mindset, that, that, that wide... Uh, spectrum of awareness is going to allow you to have be susceptible to more insight, right? Any thoughts? Yep. That's it. Constantly to the past, though not to remember past hurts or bear grudges. That would only curb your power. Half of the game is learning how to forget those events in the past that eat away at you and cloud your reason. 
The real purpose of the backward glancing eye is to educate yourself constantly. Okay, so he's saying like constantly educate yourself, like increase your span and your scope of 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 awareness, right? Yep. You look at the past to learn from those who came before you. The many historical examples in this book will greatly help that process. Then, having looked to the past, you look closer at hand to your own actions and those of your friends. This is the most vital school you can learn from because it comes from personal experience. You begin by examining the mistakes you... But at the same time, there's, you know, like God allows for, I mean, there, there's the flow and, and the idea is sometimes you don't want to increase your orbit too much. Like there's some things it's best not to know. Like when I was playing basketball, it's best not to know how I was, how sideways I was or how my feet were and stuff like that. There's some things it's best not to know. And that's only by grace of God that you don't get. So, I mean, in, in some ways being like an INTP where I wasn't so sensory oriented, that gave me advantages because I wasn't aware of the ways that I was moving and stuff. And that gave me uh, the edge over other people that made me the, the best. So at the same time, it's like, there's no formula. Sometimes you don't want it to increase the the province of, of your understanding to too much of a point. And, and you have to be able to discern or at least have the, you know, by, by grace of God or whatever to, to of, of, of existence to keep you within the most straight and narrow, perfect path. Any thoughts on that? Well, see, the issue is, is it's not um, dangerous to to expand and become aware of other things. What's dangerous is once you become aware of it, is to begin to rely upon it and hang on to it and use it as a strategy. So I think there's a danger in becoming aware just in and of itself too. But yeah. Well, I'm not sure. Maybe certain things. Yeah, certain things. Yeah. All right. All right. Ready. Made in the past, the ones that have most grievously held you back. You analyze them in terms of the 48 laws of power, and you extract from them a lesson and an oath. I shall never repeat such a mistake. I shall never fall into such a trap again. If you can evaluate and observe yourself in this way, you can learn to break the patterns of the past, an immensely valuable skill. Power requires the ability to play with appearances. To this end, you must learn to wear many masks and keep a bag full of deceptive tricks. Deceptive. <laughs> it does that? <laughs> He's a master strategist. Yeah. What do you think about the idea of knowledge is power? Any thoughts on it? Well, yeah, in, in that interpersonal matrix, it is. What about the idea of sex is power? Well, I don't know about that. Like, like the woman, like they say that like she has a lot of power over men through sex or whatever, and he does it. Or, or vice versa. Well, yeah, she, she can use that as a strategy or a man can be seduced by that strategy. In that right. sense, the word is power. As ugly or immoral. But there's a higher aspiration behind it, the idea, the, the desire for oneness. So maybe that's the ultimate power is oneness. Yep. yep. And everything else is just a, a facade of that or a, or a shadow of that. Any thoughts? Yep. 
Human interaction requires deception on many levels. And in some ways, what separates humans from animals is our ability to lie and deceive. In Greek myths, in India's <laughs> Mahabharata cycle, in the Middle Eastern epic of Gilgamesh. And does that? I just keep, I keep chuckling at his, his master, masterful strategies. And, and the funny thing is, he's actually incorrect because there's like there's these monkeys that they will deceive their the other monkeys by giving fake calls for when the when the predator's coming, and then they'll get more nuts because the other monkeys will run into trees, and then they'll get more nuts. But after they've done four fake calls, the other monkeys stop listening. And after like three fake calls, oh. they, they listen very, a lot less. But after four, they just stop listening to that monkey. Uh, that's interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah, and there's also like other examples, like uh, uh, wolves will sometimes pretend to be hurt, and then the so that the prey will will you know will become a little bit more relaxed, and then yeah, they'll attack. Yeah. It is the privilege of the gods to use deceptive arts. A great man, Odysseus, for instance, was chosen. Or a mother. A mother animal can often uh, fake being injured so that the prey predator comes after them and avoids the, the babies. Yeah. And that, that's like the perfect example of genetic Darwinism, right? She wants her genes to survive more than her own body. Yeah. And it doesn't. So, I mean, we don't, mm -hmm. want to, we don't want to deny that aspect of reality. But in that sense, does that mean that the woman is more entrenched in the matrix because the man is less aware is just just based around genetic the the matrix of of this structure of coding of existence like the man is not so aware that or, or certain that it's his children so he's less likely to be attached so does just by virtue of the biology it whether it's based around the the archetypal meaning matrix of existence is the woman just relationally more inter entwined within existence and, and thus more within an interpersonal domain. Well, yeah, or maybe it's just the male and the female just have different ways of expressing and utilizing their genetic Darwinism drives. Yeah, okay, so, so like they're both equally entangled but there's just different strategies. Right. It can both be equally entangled, but the the woman could be more because because her strategy is more. She knows it's her children. She her attachment to the matrix, her um, her like entanglement within it is expressed in that way. But the man's will be more expressed in killing the the babies of you know other you know. So it's the same thing, but just different manifestations any thoughts yep yep precisely so the gods stealing some of their divine power by matching them in wits and deception deception is a developed art of civilization and the most potent weapon in the game of power you cannot succeed at deception unless you take a somewhat distanced approach to yourself unless you can be many different people wearing the mask that the day and the moment require it doesn't yeah, that's, that's a very sophisticated strategy for making things happen. Well, it makes me think of uh, Benjamin Franklin, like, you know, many masks and everything. But I think that that's a part of being in the flow, to be pliant, to be malleable. Well, 
Well, yeah, but see, there's a different there's there's a different motivation. You can come out of uh, a desire to make things happen or a desire to make things possible. I suspect that Benjamin Franklin did that in order to make things possible. Yeah, but you, you can see how somebody. I mean, like people are like, just be yourself. But when I when people say that, I'm like, what, well, what is myself? I can. Yeah. They say that actually about like INTPs is that they say that they're that they're kind of like chameleons. That depend, and that's the way I always was. Depending on who I'm around, I can I change. And people will say, oh well, that's not authentic. But I would say that's even more authentic, and that's even more in alignment with harmony of existence to be able to change when you're around different people. Any thoughts? Yeah. But they're like, oh, you're, well, then you're not being yourself. You're just trying to, you know, to please people. Not necessarily. If if you want to be like water, like fire, and fire is is, you know, supple. It's elastic. Any thoughts of that? Yeah. Well, again, like I just said about Franklin, it can be uh, a strategy for making things happen or for making things possible. With such a flexible approach to all appearances, including your own, you lose a lot of the inward heaviness that holds people down. Make your face as malleable as the actors. Work to conceal your intentions from the others. Practice luring people into Interesting how I use the words malleable and flexible like I did. Perhaps playing yeah. and mastering arts of deception are among the aesthetic pleasures of life. They are also key components in the acquisition of power. If deception is the most potent weapon in your arsenal, then patience in all things is your crucial shield. Patience will protect you from making moronic blunders. Like master. Hold on, my finger. Hello. Well, twenty-five minutes. Okay, thanks. Bye. Okay, thanks. Bye. Emotions. Patience is a skill. It does not come naturally. But nothing about power is natural. Power is more godlike than anything in the natural world. And patience is the supreme <laughs> virtue of the gods who have nothing but time. It doesn't? No. I think it's kind of interesting linking God and power. And that's kind of true. Like God would be the ultimate power. And maybe that's the flow. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, precisely. Everything good will happen. The grass will grow again. If you give it time and see several steps into the future. Impatience, on the other hand, only makes you look weak. It is a principal impediment to power. Power is essentially amoral, and one of the most important skills to acquire is the ability to see circumstances rather than good or evil. Power is a game. This cannot be repeated often. And indeed, you do not judge your opponents by their intentions, but by the effect of their actions. You measure their strategy and their power by what you can see and feel. Often, are someone's intentions made the issue only to cloud and deceive? What does it matter if another player, your friend or rival, intended good things and had only your interests at heart if the effects of his action lead to so much ruin and confusion? It is only natural for you to interrupt their action with all kinds of... It doesn't? No. And I think that's kind of interesting idea, too, because... I look at it kind of like the universe. I mean, there's a lot of times when I had bad intentions, but but the universe somehow saved me from it. And I can say, well, I was bad, but no, but but me and the universe are one. And 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 I and I feel like that there is kind of a grace 
that's you know given to given to cer certain people if, if they have more of a a connection with the with the divine or with with existence and yeah well yeah it's that saying you you may have meant it for evil but god was able to use it for good in other words there's a process that's occurring that that can can trans transcend and transmute what you intended for evil yeah but i mean like you know like i i, I meant to do or, or just like certain things like i i said something but someone interpreted it as something else but it like i said uh ploy but the person interpreted it as boy but he's like that's a genius that you said boy right there and i was like but in my mind i'm thinking i said ploy but i'm like okay i'll let you think that i said boy and the thing is like You know, maybe just like there was a congruence between us, but but it's like the the universe and, and things like even my mistakes were being used for in a proper way. And sometimes, you know, maybe that was because I, I did not pronounce it so well. And that that's another thing. Like somebody can be so articulate in in pronouncing things so well, but then there's going to be no room for someone misinterpreting what he said in the right way, in a way that he prefers. So sometimes it's best to be like imperfect, and then that allows for more perfection. Any thoughts to that? Yeah. yeah it makes me think of like that japanese thing about the how how like they, they look highly upon like the broken thing because then then because if everything is like perfect and in you know pristine then there's no room for the accidents that are more perfect right because it's all calculated and there's no room for the surprise any thoughts there right justifications always assuming that they have acted out of goodness. You must learn to inwardly laugh each time you hear this and never get caught up in gauging someone's intentions and actions through a set of moral judgments that are really an excuse for the accumulation of power. A game. Your opponent sits opposite you. Both of you behave as gentlemen or ladies, observing the rules of the game and taking nothing personally. You play with a strategy and you observe your opponent Makes you think of like the ideal versus the real. Any thoughts about that, Grandpa? No. Opponents moves with as much calmness as you can muster. In the end, like I would say that the real is more ideal than the ideal. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, it could be. You will appreciate the politeness of those you are playing with more than their good and sweet intentions. Train your eye to follow the results of their moves, the outward circumstances, and do not be distracted by anything else. The real power comes from what you do not do, what you do not allow yourself to get dragged into. For this skill, you must learn to judge all things by what they cost you. As Nietzsche wrote, the value of a thing sometimes lies not in what one attains with it, but in what one pays for it, what it costs us. Perhaps you will attain your goal. And it does that? No. Worthy goal at that, but at what price? Apply this standard to everything, including whether to collaborate with other people to come to their aid. In the end, life is short. Opportunities are few, and you have only so much energy to draw on. And in this sense, time is as important consideration is and, and i kind of look, look at that like with the quadrant model like the way that i see it is it's like a niche thing it's like well what, what did it cost you and everything i can say oh it cost me 10 years of studying and i put all this effort but to me it was like i would have been doing that wanting to do that regardless if it 
if it, if I got anything from it. And, and the point is you could still get something from it. So it's like, it, it's to me, it seemed like the ultimate thing. Any thoughts of that? Yeah, well, it's, it's like um, Feynman said, I'm not so interested in, in, the, in the results or what my research has uh, attained or achieved. I'm more interested in the process of exploration and discovery. Never waste valuable time or mental peace. Because that's self-transcendent as opposed to self-confirmatory, right? Right. And that's the true power, God, right? Yep. The mind on the affairs of others. That is too high a price to pay. Power is a social game. To learn and master it, you must develop the ability to study and understand people. As the great 17th century thinker and courtier, Balthazar Gracian, wrote, Many people spend time studying the properties of animals or herbs. How much more important it would be to study those of people with whom we must live or die. To be a master player, you must also be a master psychologist. Any thoughts, No. I think that's true. It's really important to, to understand people and stuff. Well, it's all a part of the exploration and exposure. I think, yeah, like, I think it was, it was a, kind of a helpful thing to me for me to learn my Enneagram because that told that gave me a lot of insight into myself. Yeah, I, I guess that is why I, I put myself in solitude a lot. I I, I have a, you know, I and I, and I my main focus is on knowledge, but at the same time, I'm so focused on knowledge, like on, on that, you know, and sometimes I, I want to don't want to be incompetent that I spend, you know, excessive amount of time developing my skills. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Yes, good to know that. You must recognize motivations and see through the clouds. And then what's also good to know is then I look at the other types and I'm like, well, this guy is really different from me. This guy's more of an of a a dreamer, idealist guy who's who's not more looking for knowledge, but he's more looking to to hold on to his values and stuff. And and you see that there is differences in people. And then you meet that person, you're like, wow, that guy is he does have different propensities. But any thoughts of that? No dust with which people surround their actions. An understanding of people's hidden motives is the single greatest piece of knowledge you can have in acquiring power. It opens up endless possibilities of deception, seduction, and manipulation. People are of infinite complexity, and you can spend a lifetime watching them without ever fully understanding them. So it is all the more important, then, to begin your education now. In doing so, you must also keep one principle in mind. Never discriminate as to whom you study and whom you trust. Never trust anyone completely and study everyone, including friends and loved ones. Finally, you must learn always to take the indirect route to power. Yeah, again, he's the master strategist. I you don't have to, Grandpa, but at some point, maybe, maybe hopefully consider taking the Enneagram. I'd be curious to see what you would get on that. But I already. Yeah, I it, think I did many years ago. I think yeah. I did. What did you get on the Enneagram? I don't, I don't remember. Yeah, because, you know, I, I, I've just been studying it just recently. You know, but any thoughts on it? No. Guys, you're cunning like a billiard ball that caroms several times before it hits its target. Your moves must be planned and developed in the least obvious way. By training yourself to be indirect, 
you can thrive in the modern court, appearing the paragon of decency while being the consummate manipulator. Consider the 48... <laughs> <laughs> At least he's being honest with himself. Yeah, does it? I call, I call him the master strategist. He calls him the constant... Con the, the, um, consummate manipulator? The, yeah, consummate manipulator. It's the same thing. Yeah, he's very, he's very insightful into his um, mode of being. Yeah. Laws are based on the writings of men and women who have studied and mastered the game of power. These writings span a period of more than three thousand years and were created in civilizations as disparate as ancient China and Renaissance Italy. Yet they share common threads and themes together hinting at an essence of power that has yet to be fully articulated. The 48 laws of power are the distillation of this accumulated wisdom gathered from the writings of the most illustrious strategists, statesmen, courtiers, seducers, and con artists in history. The laws have a simple premise. Certain actions almost always increase one's power, the observance of the law, while others decrease it and even ruin us the transgression of the law. These transgressions and observances are illustrated by historical examples. The laws are timeless and definitive. The 48 laws of power can be used in several ways. By listening to this program straight through, you can learn about power in general. Although several of the laws may seem not to pertain directly to your life, in time, you will probably find that all of them have some application and that, in fact, they are interrelated. By getting an overview of the entire subject, you will best be able to evaluate your own past actions and gain a greater degree of control over your immediate affairs. The program can also be picked apart for entertainment, for an enjoyable ride through the foibles and great deeds of our predecessors in power. A warning, however, to those who use the program for this purpose, it might be better to turn back. Power is endlessly seductive and deceptive in its own way. It is a labyrinth. Your mind becomes consumed with solving its infinite problems, and you soon realize how pleasantly lost you have become. In other words, it becomes most amusing by taking it seriously. Do not be frivolous with such a critical matter. The gods of power frown on the frivolous. They give ultimate satisfaction only to those who study and reflect and punish them skim the surfaces looking for time. It does that? Yeah, he's very, well, he's, he's, he's very, he's very right that if one insists upon living in the world, in the transpersonal or, or impersonal worlds, if you insist on living in those exclusively, you, you, you have to master the art of manipulation because in order to navigate and, neg and negotiate within that world, you need those strategies. Yeah, and, and I think that there's probably certain types that are more, you know, in line with doing that. But like my type, like I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to call attention to myself too much, but like, you know, a 5W4, that's not my, like, that's not my strength. Um, right. Like with, with me, it's more seeking knowledge, which is, which is different. 
that's a philosopher, but there is somebody who's, there's people who are like the type threes and they're all about being liked and they're all about socializing. You know what I mean? So they have to probably be adept at this. What do you think? Yeah, yeah, well, that's true. It, 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 see, any of those Enneagram uh, options can be used either as strategies for making things happen or for uh, insights into making things possible. All right. Law one, never outshine the master. How much, how much longer is this? Oh, it's like a, it's, it's nine hours. Oh, yeah, well, that's about enough for today. I got some things I need to do. Are you, you want to do just the, the, the law one really quick? Okay. Uh, said, she said, never outshine the master. Those above you feel comfortably superior. In your desire to please and impress them, do not go too far in displaying your talents, or you might accomplish the opposite. Inspire fear and insecurity. Make your masters appear more brilliant than they are, and you will attain <laughs> What do you think about that, Governor? Well, he's right. You can use this and take it very seriously, or you can use it as a form of entertainment. I, I see it as a form of entertainment. Yeah. But, I mean, obviously, like, if you're intuitive, you're going to recognize – I don't want to make my, I don't want to put my superior down. That's going to hurt his ego. But at the same time, I remember when I was younger and I would be in my classes and my teachers would just be like in all of me. And they would just, they'd be like dazed, like, oh my God, like growing up, grandpa, I always had all my teachers. So I was like a teacher's pet in every class. Every teacher was like, oh my gosh, those answers are just so incredible. And, and it, it wasn't that I was like outshining the teacher or outshining everybody else, but I was, you know, but they loved that. Yeah. Any thoughts? No. So, I mean, like, sometimes you do want to go to the top, but yeah, you don't want to do it in a manner of, oh, I'm superior in with, with, with that, like, with that aura. Yeah. There's well, a difference between celebrating it and, and seeking compliments for it. <laughs> yeah, doesn't. Mm -hmm. Transgression of the law. Nicolas Fouquet, Louis XIV's finance minister in the first years of his reign, was a generous man who loved lavish parties, pretty women, and poetry. He also loved money, for he led an extravagant lifestyle. Fouquet was clever and very much indispensable to the king. So, when the prime minister, Jules Mazarin, died in 1661, the finance minister expected to be named the successor. Instead, the king decided to abolish the position. This and other signs made Fouquet suspect that he was falling out of favor, and so he decided to ingratiate himself with the king by staging the most spectacular party the world had ever seen. The party's ostensible purpose would be to commemorate the completion of Fouquet's chateau, Vaux-le-Vicomte, but its real function was to pay tribute to the king, the guest of honor. The most brilliant nobility of Europe and some of the greatest minds of the time, La Fontaine, La Rochefoucauld, Madame de Sévigné, attended the party. Moliere wrote a play for the occasion in which he himself was to perform at the evening's conclusion. 
The party began with a lavish seven-course dinner, featuring foods from the Orient never before tasted in France, as well as new dishes created especially for the night. The meal was accompanied with music commissioned by Fouquet to honor the king. After dinner, there was a promenade through the chateau's gardens. The grounds and fountains of Vaux-le-Vicomte were to be the inspiration for Versailles. Fouquet personally accompanied the young king through the geometrically aligned arrangements of shrubbery and flower beds. Arriving at the garden's canals, they witnessed a fireworks display which was followed by the performance of Moliere's play. The party ran well into the night, and everyone agreed it was the most amazing affair they had ever attended. The next day, Fouquet was arrested by the king's head musketeer, D'Artagnan. Three months later, he went on trial for stealing from the country's treasury. Actually, most of the stealing he was accused of, he had done on the king's behalf and with the king's permission. Fouquet was found guilty and sent to the most isolated prison in France, high in the Pyrenees Mountains, where he spent the last 20 years of his life in solitary confinement. Interpretation Louis XIV, the Sun King, was a proud and arrogant man who wanted to be the center of attention at all times. He could not countenance being outdone in lavishness by anyone, and certainly not his finance minister. To succeed Fouquet, Louis chose Jean-Baptiste Colbert, a man famous for his parsimony and for giving the dullest parties in Paris. Colbert made sure that any money liberated from the treasury went straight into Louis's hands. With the money, Louis built a palace even more magnificent than Fouquet's, the glorious Palace of Versailles. He used the same architects, decorators, and garden designer. And at Versailles, Louis hosted parties even more extravagant than the one that cost Fouquet his freedom. Let us examine the situation. Hey, Dagmar? Well, see, so you, you can analyze Louis the king, or you can analyze um, the one who threw the party. See, when you throw the party, you're trying to show off, and that will always lead to your imprisonment. Hello? Okay. Yeah. All right, but so is that good for now? Oh, but, but yeah, really quick, what about Louis, though? Well, so, so Louis insisted on being the top dog, and he'll get his in the end also. All right, later. Thanks, Gabbard.